Live from the Pacific Northwest, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. Real. True. Stories. May the narrative be with you. I'm here to tell you I am a proud grandmother of a four-year-old little boy named Michael. He is amazing. He's got a memory. He'll say like, remember that time when we went to that lady's house and she had ants? <laughs> He's four. He was two. And I'm going like, ah, oh, yeah. Um, not only is he brilliant and beautiful, but he's also bilingual. His mother is Japanese, as are his other grandparents. And so he speaks both English and Japanese. So having a grandchild, you start thinking about a little bit about your own childhood, you know? And I was thinking about when I was born. I was bilingual, too. My parents both spoke Swedish. And my Swedish grandparents, my mother's uh, parents, lived with us. And we spoke Swedish at home. Now, I didn't remember this. Because that year, some other things happened. Um, my grandmother died. And my grandfather went back to Sweden. But 1949 in Rockford, Illinois, there was something even more terrible. Polio loomed large over all of us. Children were dying. Whole families of kids died. And I had a playmate who was left in braces the rest of her life. And my brother died. Now, those are pretty momentous things. I don't remember at all. I don't remember my brother or my grandparents. I just remember this terrible fear. So, a few years later, there is something I remember very well. I remember going with my mother, she in her dress with a full skirt, matching shoes and handbag. <laughs> Me and my Mary James, my white ankles, my pleated skirt, my little bright white shirt, and my little cardigan, walking up the wooden steps of St. James Catholic School. At the top of the stairs, we went into a classroom, and the floor was very shiny, wood, warm. Light streamed in through the windows, and it was silent. We walked across the floor over to a table, behind which a nurse stood in her starched white cap, starched white cotton uniform, white stockings, and white silent shoes. Across the table, she handed me this tiny white pleated paper cup. In it, there was a single white sugar cube with the magic pink drop of the salt vaccine. I took that little cup, crunched that little sugar cube, and knew I was safe from polio. I was saved to live the perfect life of a kid in the 50s. 
and stopping only for lunch at whoever's house we were closest to. <laughs> it was a magical time. Winters, we dragged our toboggans over to the park so we could slide down Dead Man's Hill or strapped on these long wooden skis with leather straps over our boots and skied over to the park. It was the perfect life. And I had the perfect mom. She was beautiful. Thick chestnut hair, clear blue eyes. She was an amazing cook, wonderful entertainer. She was the hostess with the mostest. My birthday parties were the envy of everybody. We had perfect cakes. Sometimes we even had the real to real films of our gang and uh, uh, Laurel and Hardy. And Halloween, my mom made our costumes from scratch. One year I was Santa Claus. <laughs> Red flannel suit, big black belt, black boots, white fur cuffs, and a beard made out of angel hair. <laughs> she was perfect. It was the perfect life until the rage came. I was alone in our small kitchen with my mom one day when I was around eight. And the kitchen filled with hot, white rage. I was terrified. It was directed at me. I didn't know what it was about, but I ran. I ran out of the house and up to the corner and hid under some bushes until I got cold and wet. And I went back to face the music. So I walked into the house thinking, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's not going to be good. <clears throat> Nothing. Not a word. No one ever said a thing about it. So I was relieved. I went like, okay, that was bad, but it's over. But it wasn't. The rages continued. I don't know what it was that might bothered my mom. I, I don't know what had happened to her in her life. But there was this rage that exploded out of her sometimes. And nobody ever said anything about it afterwards. I never knew what it was about, except if I left my room a little messy. Then I knew. And one of my fears was that one, a friend would walk, come home with me on a, one of these days when I would walk into the front hallway and see my bedclothes and my books and my shoes all laying at the foot of the stairs because my mother had gone into my room and exploded and thrown those things all over the railing to the hallway below. It was terrifying. And I was clueless. had no idea what was going on. I was so hurt. And I felt this huge weight. And some nights and some days, I would just stand at my window and look out the window up into the sky and say, please, God, let me die. I can't do this. Let me die. 
When I was 12, my mother became suddenly very ill. And it was still in those days the doctors came to the house. The doctor had been in with my mom, came out, closed the door behind me, and he said, your mother wants to talk to you. So I went into the den, and I sat down next to the sofa where she was. And she said, if anything happens to me, it's your responsibility to take care of your father and your sister and your brother. She went off and thankfully recovered. But I am going like, oh man, come on, God, give me a break. Right? <laughs> I'm 12. <laughs> Anyhow, life continued, and for the most part, it was pretty terrific. But through all of this, I wanted to do two things with my life. One was to be a mom. And I was. And not a bad mom, a pretty good mom. Don't get me wrong, I yelled at my kids plenty, right, you guys? <laughs> but I was a pretty good mom. And I also have always worked with vulnerable children my whole adult life. I now have grandchildren, one on the way, and this is my life. It is the perfect life. And you know what? We're creating a lot of wonderful memories. But I have to always wonder. Michael is four. If I die tomorrow, will he remember me? <laughs> <laughs>